Let us pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here together and worship you. And Lord, as we look at your scripture, speak into our hearts, minds, and lives. Take my words and make them your own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning I want to take a look at the gospel lesson. It's one that is familiar, hopefully, to you. It's familiar to me. I also, though, can say I've not studied it extensively. It first look, it doesn't seem quite that interesting, quite that profound, and yet it really is. And this is another one of those passages, particularly as I think about the region of Galilee that is transformed by my experience this past October. You see, the region of Galilee is a, still to this day a very uh, bustling area, an area of high activity, this lake that sits a bit in valley. There's, there's a hilly region on one side that goes over to Jordan, and there's some hills on this other side, and it flattens on yet another side. And the Jordan River, of course, the, the river where Jesus was baptized, the, the main river there flows into the Sea of Galilee and meets it on the one side. And it's interesting because this was for many years and in many ways Jesus' home. We know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, comes from Nazareth, but most of his ministry and a lot of his life occurs here in this region, in this area around the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is not a lake that I would consider to be a small lake nor a huge lake. Yet there was many little towns and developments around the lake. It was certainly a sea that was bustling with trade, with activity. And for the disciples, this lake was significant. This, for many of them, this region of Galilee was their home. For many of them, this, of course, was their livelihood. As we read in the story today, many of them were fishermen that you can still go and, and fish in the Sea of Galilee, and in fact, uh, you can eat these same uh, species of fish that they would have spent their time catching and offering during that time. But Jesus really, in first setting the scene in Galilee, begins this passage with two declarations. In verse 15, the two declarations are simple. The time has come, and the kingdom of God has come near. Of course, the time of come talks about his time of ministry. It talks about the Son of God, God in the flesh, coming to the world. It speaks, of course, to this kingdom, God's dream, God's vision, God's hopes coming to the world. He's speaking of himself. The time has come for these disciples to turn their life, to go in a different direction to find their identity. And here's the interesting thing. I don't think this first declaration, the time has come, is just for the disciples or just for this moment at the Sea of Galilee. I think it still exists for us today, that even though Jesus has come, always and forever the time has come to continue to follow Jesus. And then, of course, the second declaration, the kingdom of God has come near. What does this mean? Of course, the word near, he is speaking of himself. God's world, heaven, God's kingdom has come to earth in the form of Jesus. But there's a little bit of mystery here, too. 
This idea of God's kingdom, the thing that Jesus spoke of the most, is, is kind of hard for us to understand. There's something about it that's abstract, that's mysterious, because it's talking about the past, and it's talking a lot about the present, and it also speaks to the future. But understand, this notion of kingdom is, again, God's vision, God's hope, God's dreams, God's ideal for the world. That so often in thinking about the story of Jesus, we get rightly so caught up in the beautiful miracle of the, in the conspiracy of his birth, or we get so caught up in the great power and grace of his death and resurrection that we forget about all the in-between. The in-between where Jesus came to show us how to live. And so Jesus is talking about this vision, this ideal that he is bringing to the world, this other way of living, this other way of doing things. And much like the first statement, I don't believe that's just for then. You see, the kingdom of God came to earth in Jesus. But the kingdom of God is still coming. And of course we know the promise of how this story ends that Jesus will come again. That the kingdom of God will be complete and come to fruition when Jesus returns. And that's why I think this can be hard and abstract and difficult to understand. But maybe Jesus could have simply said, I'm here and everything has changed. I'm here. And everything has changed. And not just for them, but for us as well. But he goes a little further. Next, he offers in one sentence two imperatives in this next part of the sentence in 15. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. This perhaps may be a great summary of the Christian life, of what it means to be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, what the basis of Christianity in a lot of ways is all about. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent is a word that we don't understand. We don't go around saying it except for maybe that guy on the street corner that everybody thinks is crazy shouting repent. But the word repent or repentance literally means to turn around. It's a 180 degree turn. It means to change directions. Jesus here in coming and inviting these disciples to follow him is talking about a change of direction. A change of direction for them. A change of direction for the story of God. A change of direction for the world. A change of direction for us. It means literally to turn. But perhaps not wanting to leave it at that, understanding that it's not so much about what we turn from as it is what we turn to, Jesus states the next part. Believe the good news. Believe the gospel message. That's the second imperative. Of course, that means to become more like Christ. Of course, that means we understand the word believe so often in Scripture, and as it is in this case, means to trust. Change directions and trust Jesus. Change directions and trust the good news. Change directions and put your trust in the gospel. The truth is that we oftentimes put our trust in other things 
our trust in things other than Jesus, other than the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God. Maybe our trust is in money. Maybe our trust is in success. Maybe our trust is in some people. Maybe our trust is in a particular philosophy or ideal. Maybe our trust is simply in ourselves and what we can do and what we can produce. Maybe our trust is in a particular organization or institution, a, a church or the government. I have a hard time imagining that, but we put our trust in so many other things other than the gospel, other than the good news. But Jesus here is casting a different vision, not just for these disciples, but for us. You see, Jesus is saying to them in this passage as he continues and as he calls them, God's kingdom has come to earth. God's rule, God's reign is here and present. It's certainly existed before Jesus came, but it's here and present now in me. And I'm giving you a different vision for the way that life can be, a different vision for how things can look, a different paradigm for the world. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's quite come yet, and it won't ever fully come until Jesus does. But the good news is that we participate in that in the meantime, that it can still continue to come in us and through us and around us, God's ideal, God's vision. Because what Jesus is saying to these disciples in this moment is, you are more than just observers. You're more than just observers. You are partners. You are participants in my mission. You are participants in the coming of my world. You are participants in making this dream, this vision for the world a reality. Again, I don't think this is a message just for Simon and Andrew and James and John. It's a vision for us. We are more than just observers. That if that's all we're doing with this faith, that that's all we're doing with our relationship with Jesus, we're missing the best part. Participating with Jesus in the coming of the kingdom in his mission. It's a great truth for us. Believe and trust in Jesus and participate with him in his mission. You see, this call in this moment isn't just for these four specific disciples. It's for all disciples. Understand for them this moment is significant. They're not just recreationally fishing. This is their livelihood. This is their only source of income. Not only is it their only source of income and their livelihood, it is really their life. Their families are invested in it. This is what they do. This is even more than a family business. It's eat, sleep, fish, be with family. That is life. And Jesus comes to them in a moment and says, walk away from all of that. Give all of that up and follow me. Can you imagine? And they do it. They do it. It's an instant response of obedience. There's not haggling. There's not questioning. There's not, let me think about it. Or better yet, let me pray about it. They instantly jump on board with this Jesus. They see that something is happening here and they want to be a part of it. It's worth giving everything else they have up for. And what they find is 
something better. And again, I imagine this story and I imagine all that's happening along the shores of the Sea of Galilee and, and, and the, the trade and the, and the business and the fishing and all the activity that's happening there. And this guy with this message, repent and believe the good news. Follow me. Walks up to these two and then the next two and says, put it down. Let it all go and follow after me. I don't think we fully grasp what this means. And thankfully, I don't think many times Jesus comes to us directly as he did these disciples and says, give it all up and follow me. But Jesus still does come to us over and over again and says, follow me. And inevitably, following Jesus means giving some things up always seems to mean that. But I think again about this moment in this imagery of fishing. Again, understand from my story in children's time, this is not my gifting. But as we were on the Sea of Galilee, you take a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, and for me this was a powerful moment as you think about the disciples, Peter and the other disciples, that their legacy, that their life, that their ministry and time with Jesus, so much of it happened on this lake and around this lake. And we stopped for a moment in the middle of the sea, and we shared some scripture and, and sung a song, and then they thought they would show us what it was like fishing back then. You know, it wasn't a fishing pole. These fishing techniques change, just like all techniques change. I doubt that when Jesus was walking on water, Peter was there with his iPhone taking pictures. So, I mean, things change. And so it was interesting. They took this net. It was, uh, you know, made of a, some kind of fiber. It, it looked strong but different, unique. It was an open net, and attached to the ends of the nets all the way around were rocks. And they cast the net out into the sea and wait. That's the part that wasn't so exciting. And wait. And then they would pull the net in. And you think of all these stories in the gospel as they were doing this. And we didn't catch any fish. As, as they were doing this, we didn't wait long enough. As we were doing this, as, the, as the, the men on the boat were doing this, I was thinking of those images when they pulled the fish in the boat and it was so full that the boat was tipping over. And in these moments where they were getting nothing like we had, and Jesus said, go over there, and they get all this other stuff. And I, I begin to think about this image of fish, and all of a sudden, this image takes new life for me. It was interesting watching the man take the net that he picked up this net just by two sides. There was an end that was attached to the boat and he just threw this net out into the lake. And all of a sudden my brain, again, because I'm not a fisherman, so I was like, well, I don't know what's going to happen next, but my, my brain, my mind instantly went to this image that Jesus gave to the disciples. Become fishers of men. And all of a sudden I realized that this story, this image of the net is a helpful one. That our job is not to be successful, not to be perfect, but to be obedient and faithful and to cast the nets. You see, Jesus was telling his disciples, cast the nets 
but cast a different kind of net. Not a net in the sea for fish, but a net for people. The net representing, of course, the gospel message, the good news of God's love and grace. And so we cast the net of God's love, God's unconditional love, God's radical grace. We cast that net out into the world and we see what happens. You see, all disciples are called to be followers. That's part of what the word means. And as disciples, we're all called to be fishers of people, net casters in the world. As we go out into the world, whether in work, lunch, conversation, whatever it is we do, to throw out those nets of God's love and God's grace. And not worry so much about the catch, not worry so much about the result, not worry so much about our technique, but to simply be faithful and obedient, to put our trust in God and God's good news. So often we're fearful to love and minister and offer God's love and grace to people because we're worried about our ability to present. We're worried about how that's going to be received. We're worried about our success or failure. We're worried like some little kid that if he doesn't fish right, the friends aren't going to like him. And so we keep the net to ourselves. We just hold on to this good news as if it was something that was supposed to just be left in our lap. But it's not. And that's what Jesus is saying. We don't have to be successful. We have to be willing. Willing to cast the net of God's love and grace. We are not just observers. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are more than just observers. We're invited to be participants in his mission, participants in the coming of his kingdom, participants in making this world the way it should be. We are fishers of people, called to cast the net of God's love and God's radical grace to everyone we encounter. And as people, as followers of Jesus, who are more than just observers, we have a responsibility to our community into the world to take this good news, this gospel message of God's unconditional love, of God's willingness to adopt us as his children, of God's radical grace to take that message to the world. It was a holy moment here along the lake shore as we tried to imagine that. It was a unique moment And I'm a person who loves and passionate about water, and so some of my most reflective and joyful moments and holy moments are along or in or around or on the water. And in this holy moment, Jesus changes the lives of these four men, changes the lives of the family, changes the trajectory of the church, changes this region of Galilee but more importantly, gives us a model, a vision for what it means to be people who turn to follow Jesus. Fishers of people. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this story, for the way that you have called the disciples, for the way that you call us as your disciples. 
God, help us to be a people who are more than just observers. Take our responsibility to share your love and grace in word and action and in presence in our community and in the world. Give us the strength and courage to drop what it is that's in our hands, what it is that weighs us down, and to instead pick up these nets, cast these nets, and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stay.